doesn't consistently smelling your partner's gas supposedly boost your immune system somehow? There's a lot of supposedly's going on there. I don't there know. are a lot of supposedly's going on there. But I don't um, know. I'll Google it really quickly and you can put it in the show notes because I feel like that's important information for people who like to feed their family beans um, for the sake of frugality. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Too Busy to Flush, where we have been too busy to record a show for the last week. Um, I'm JR. I'm Molly. And we're married, and we're happily married, aren't we, dear? We are. Yeah. I think. Are the kids happily parented? I don't know. Can I read this to you? Yes. Studying Study reveals that smelling your partner's farts is the secret to a longer life. Mike Wood, who was involved in the study, said, although hydrogen sulfide is well known as a pungent, foul-smelling gas in rotten eggs and flatulence, it is naturally produced in the body and could, in fact, be a healthcare hero. More information on hydrogen sulfide, the gas that smells. It can help reduce the risk of heart attack, stroke, cancer, stave off dementia. When we are sick, our cells create their own hydrogen sulfide, which helps keep mitochondria, our cells' power generators, in working order. So, if anybody that you know has COVID, go fart in their face. <laughs> Ladies yes. and gentlemen, the next cure for COVID, you heard it here first at Too Busy to Flush, where we do all sorts of potty humor and potty information. Mm-hmm. Informative and fun. Speaking of potty information, do you remember that book that your Aunt Barb gave you before we got married that we I, we still, I think, so have somewhere at the cabin, although a dog chewed a corner of it? Do you remember? You're looking at me like you it's, don't. Is it, is it the one, it's what does your poo say about you? What your poo says about you. Yeah. Yeah. And it actually is like a humorous bathroom book, but it's got illustrations and stuff. And then it describes different types of poos and actually from it's written by an md tells you what is probably going on in your body that's causing different types of poos super fun super fun book it's the type of book that if you are well it would be a great white elephant gift um there should probably be a thing of the past like anything communal anything communal and party is a is, thing of is the not, past yeah we're not doing that anymore um but um but like for like family Christmas drawings, mm-hmm. it would probably be a good, you know, for the random or office. Well, it depends on what kind of office humor or humor, sense of humor your office has. But, um, yeah. I like it. <clears throat> the reason we've been talking about farts is because the whole family has had really bad gas for the last day. I actually haven't. <sighs> Well, I do, and I'm and eating your son the same. Has. I'm eating this. Yeah, and my the girls son has. have had. I'm eating bad the gas. same thing. I feed you guys. I just must be healthier than you all. I thought having gas was a sign of a good digestive system. Uh, it's a sign that whatever is going on during your digestion is producing extra. Yeah, gas. It's a healthy digestive. I'm overacting. What I need to do is eat more crap so I don't have to over overproduce. You need to eat some probiotics. Gas. I do probiotics every night, babe. Do you? Yes, I do. Oh. Yeah. 
doesn't help. In fact, sometimes it gives me more gas, I think. Because it's actually helping your body break down more stuff that's that's there. Hmm. Um, you can hmm. actually, yeah. Interesting. Science, friends. Yeah. Science is exciting. You should start drinking apple cider vinegar. I should start drinking hard cider. Different. I don't like apple cider vinegar. I don't really either, but it's Although really good for you. Although I like it with my you. barbecue. It's really good for you. Yeah. So what have we been up to the last month, the last uh, week and a half, babe, since the last show? Is this a leading question? Yeah, you're supposed to give us something. I mean, people want to know, but not everybody follows us on Instagram. We haven't. I haven't actually posted anything on Instagram. I pages. have. I've been posting most stuff on Instagram. Oh, mostly. well, the main thing that, from my perspective, we did was we went to Wyoming to see my 96 and a half... I, mean, she, I feel like when you're that age, you start going back to like, oh, how old is your baby? Oh, she's 18 months. She's 21 months. You know, my grandma is 96 and was uh, January to October, ten, nine months. She's 96 and nine months. Um, <laughs> it counts. Um, so we were there seeing seeing my grandma and hanging out with other. I have a cousin whose family lives there. And her parents live there. And so, you know, we were bringing our weird circus into another weird circus. But your grandmother... what sort of weird circus could your, result. Your grandmother was a little bit confused as to why we were coming down. Well, yeah, because I've... She's... She doesn't... Um, she doesn't... She's not imminently ill. And, you know, we look at her and we're like, okay, you're like... You've always been short, but you're for sure, like, smaller and way more frail than the last time we saw you four months ago. And, you know, I mean, doesn't even it's not even going to take COVID to knock her out. Like, she could bumble on the way she is going slowly downhill for the next five years. I mean, but she could also catch a cold next week. And that could take her out. So, I mean, which is true for all of us, right? I mean, the, the thing about, if you look at this, the COVID statistics, oh, like, no. yes, no, 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 I'm just saying, it's not just COVID, it's the flu, it's flying on an airplane, it's driving in a car, like, do you, this is why we buckle our kids into our car seats as well as we can within our power every time we go out, you know, and you, you make a kid wear their seatbelt, and you are supposed to wear your seatbelt, and you make your kid wear your helmet, because... We live in a world full of risk, and you never know when the next thing around the corner might take any of us out. It just so happens that old age means that there are more things around the corner than, you know, the car accident that might take out your two-year-old or the biking accident that might take out your 40, how old are you? 41-year-old husband or, you know, I mean, or the skiing accident, you know, like we live in a world fraught with risk. Um, we're, and we're not living in denial of that. We're not. A lot of people are trying, living like they can there, defeat death. Yeah. I mean, I think that if you were to ask them, they would say no, but deep down inside, there's a deep discomfort with the reality of our, um, the short span of our lives. Speaking of which, I will segue to homeschooling um because i'm a nerd like that and i don't think my kids have been enjoying learning about ancient egypt quite as much as i have but learning some of the beliefs 
of the ancient Egyptians and why they preserved bodies as mummies and why they preserved like they took their organs out so there were less squishy things to rot and decay the body because they wanted to preserve the body as well as possible because they as best as I can tell because the organs are not part of the body no but then they would put them in a they would put them in a jar next to so they'd put them back later no 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 they would put them in a jar next to so they could like decompose but still be there um but the jar Hmm. the jar so their death god was named no that was their it was like Anubis or something the sun god was raw and their the pyramids were were gleaming white mm-hmm. and were supposed to reflect the sun and be like brilliant to reflect that the pharaohs were lesser gods themselves um but the death god was represented by a jackal and so the priest who was embalming and mummifying the pharaoh would wear a jackal mask and there's like paintings on the inside of the the tombs inside of the pyramids with this like creepy jackal dude bending over the dead pharaoh as he's mummifying him and then there's this little jar next to him for all the inner organs that they cut out and then stuff the inside the insides with salt and sawdust um and the jar has a jackal head on it Hmm. it i don't it's weird like why a jackal i haven't i haven't researched that yet but death god that'd be a good name for a band my buddy on Instagram, like death metal. he said something like wet, he said wet blister. And I'm like, oh, that'd be a great name for a... Oh. <laughs> no, disgusting. <laughs> disgusting. Wet blister. I don't even have issues with the word moist and wet blister just grosses me Isn't out. it disgusting? Um, you know, we also, I busted into the trailer. Not everybody knows that. I started mm-hmm. demoing the trailer and I'm at the point now um, where, so... You know, I pulled all, I gutted it, pulled all the, all the walls off. The next thing to go is insulation. Um, but I got curious. So when I pulled the bathtub, the, I, I knew it had been remodeled Was it a bathtub point. or a shower? It was a bathtub. It was a legit bathtub? It was a legit bathtub. Like a lie down in bathtub. You couldn't, if that you were really, really short. not big enough for If that. you were really, really short, you could lie down in it. But it was, it was a legit bathtub. That bathroom looked like big enough to have a shower stall in it. It was a big bathtub. It was a little bathtub. It was a tub. That's bizarre. It wasn't. It wasn't a pan or a shower bottom. It was a tub. This this Spartan is too big to travel with. If it had a fireplace and a bathtub in it, I, I mean, I know came, you still intend came, to travel with it. Some of them came. But stock I'm becoming with, increasingly less convinced that we should travel with this. I yeah. It it um. The fireplace, most of these came stocked with fireplaces at one point. No, the reason you're becoming, is because I'm becoming less convinced. I'm, I'm at a point, so I got it all gutted, and the last thing to do is insulation, and I got curious, so I started peeling up the linoleum, because when I pulled the bathtub, it looked like there was fresh plywood underneath, right down to the ground. They had the hole cut out for the drain. I thought, it kind of looks like the subfloor has been replaced in this trailer. That would be clutch if it was, because that means I don't have to replace the subfloor. I start peeling up the linoleum, and lo, do I discover that the subfloor was replaced, but not properly. So there's a couple different ways you can do it, but basically the way these Spartans and even in the old Airstreams, um, the way they're built is there's the frame of the of the trailer, and then on top of that you have, you know, your your really thick 
sheets of plywood and that's the subfloor. And then on top of that subfloor, then there's C channels on each side that the floor sits into that are attached to the frame. And um, the shell comes down over that, sits on that, on that wood, that subfloor, and then it bolts through the shell, through the subfloor, into the frame. That's how it stays on. Somebody had come in and did the worst possible thing you could probably do. They, they cut around the inside of the shell. The, the subfloor. They cut the subfloor all the way around the inside of the shell and just pulled out the middle piece, basically. Honestly, that's probably what I would have done. Um, which is, which is, you know, Makes sure. Makes a lot of sense for the but short term. For the short term, but that was a structural piece for the stability of the trailer. So now you don't have any of that structural stability with that flat, stiff mm. board going on there. On top of that, you now have really old pieces of wood sitting between your shell and your frame. And unfortunately, when that shell rots, there's nothing left to uh, hold the shell to the trailer. When the wood between the shell When the wood the between rots. the shells, yeah. So I, I made a mistake. I'm backing up really briefly. The subfloor goes on the frame, and that subfloor bolts to the frame around different areas. Then when you put the shell on, you bolt the shell to the subfloor. Mm-hmm. Not directly to the frame, to the subfloor. So when you remove that, so now you've got basically a free-floating shell that's not connected to anything. So when I started pulling away panels, the whole driver's side wall was was not connected already. And I was like, ooh, hey, you know, I've already repaired one wall. So the majority of that shell is not attached to anything anymore. Um, and that's, you know, I knew that was going to be a possibility. But when I started researching, you know, sh- uh, pulling the best methods to pull the shell off, I started to get really depressed. Not because, of, not depressed, just discouraged. Not because of the actual work. The work doesn't really intimidate me. What intimidates me is the financial piece and the time piece. So we're in Montana, and typically, you know, we can work year round, but it's a bit sketchy. Um, because when winter hits, it gets super cold. There's tons of snow and this is all outside. So I'm going to have, and I know that part of the house gets huge snow drifts built up. So anyway, you know, you, we save up a bunch of money to do one thing and then we're stuck for three months and then we can't do anything. And it's going to be like a five-year project because we have to save up money and then, and then do a little bit. And then that little bit takes a long time. And then just kind of, I guess at some point you could probably build up a buffer. So while you're doing the one thing that takes a while, you're also saving up money for the next piece. But it's a big job. Gantry cranes, and there's a method to pull jack it where you build a frame inside and then jack up that frame. Um, I have no idea how that would actually work out. We'll probably look at YouTube, but this is a 37-foot trailer. Something like a 26-footer or a 22-footer, no problem. This is 37 feet. Hey, I just found a pull-behind pop-up trailer on Facebook Marketplace for $2,800. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. Like, your gantry tra- things, whatever, you're, I don't even know what that means, but those things um, would probably cost that much money. So I'm just saying, it's a 2011. If I bought them new. I mean, if I bought two, if I had to buy, let's. I'll put it this way. Most gantry cranes run between $2,500 and $5,000, and I need at least two of them, if not three, because it's 37 feet long. I'd have to have a 20-foot board, so you put a board inside the trailer, 
and you go up through some vents or whatever, I'm replacing the whole roof. So I could probably just poke right through the roof. But you run this board in there, connect the, each hoist that's connected to the crane, each hoist to each end, and then you simultaneously pull both hoists up to pull the shell off evenly in one piece. And then you put then you pull the trailer out, put the shell back down on the ground, do all your work, lift the shell up, back the trailer in, drop the shell, re-rivet the shell, or sorry, re Okay, I'm just going to say this because I'm sort of, my eyes are glazing over at all your descriptions. <laughs> you have a couple times made what I would interpret as passive-aggressive comments uh-huh. about, like, well, it's just me doing the work, or, well, it's not like I have to be the only one doing the work. There could be more people helping out. Like, what? I could send two-year-old Faith out? Actually, Tito's been really helpful. He has been very helpful and very Faith enthusiastic. Faith went around and, wa- and she picked up rocks. very pouty when rocks. you're working during the day. He's but, so funny. But between that and the fact that you will spend literally days at a time down here during music... I feel like we're drifting into parallel lives that don't really intersect and that we're not really interested in of each other's lives. Oh, because you're not interested in the trailer? Like, the trailer gives me a physical sense of despair. Like, it's Mm -hmm. not just an emotional, like, it's just so big and it's so much work and you have what feel to me like unreal expectations of me like I'm supposed to be spending hours out there no, while I'm homeschooling three unre- children unreal, no. and managing a house that's literally waist deep in laundry in our bedroom right now and planning birthday parties and I like the I don't have I've got dreams. the capacity I've got dreams I totally understand and I'm working and when I go out and work on the trailer you're doing school with the kids, so that makes total sense. Even if I'm not dreams, doing school, I have I'm visions. Trying and to dreams. get the dishwasher emptied. Your baby napped for an hour today, she and I spent. So cute today. <coughs> I, she was Partially. anything but cute today. Partially. When I saw her, she was horrible all morning. Insisted on sitting on my lap, screaming and grabbing at the books while I was trying to read school to the older kids. Reaching over where she had a coloring page and scribbling on Lily's notebook page where she's supposed to, the kids are supposed to be making a notebook going through history where they do little summaries of mm-hmm. e- and then draw pictures. She's literally grabbing markers and scribbling on Lily's while Lily is working on it. That's the morning. I finally get her down for her nap, which I was counting down from nap time to nap time. She slept for an hour. I went outside for a minute and kept back in, and she was screaming. I guess when I said she was cute, I was thinking about dinner time. Where I had to tie her in her chair because she wouldn't sit down and eat, and she didn't eat her dinner. she was just making funny little comments prior to getting... Okay, then. (laughs) She is not my favorite right now. Actually, none of them are really... Titus is probably my favorite right now. At... Right after I got Faith down for a nap, I made Elise take a nap, and I literally had this thought go through my head. I'm not sure which of the females in this house I like the least. Faith, Lily, Elise, or me. Because we're all crabby, and Elise, I knew, was tired, and I, she literally laid on our bed kicking and screaming because I told her she had to lie down and take a nap. And the minute her legs stopped moving, she was sound asleep. And she slept for like an hour and a half. But getting to the point of her falling asleep, I was like, I intensely dislike you right now. And if you don't fall asleep, I'm not sure what will happen between now and dinner. And then 
Faith woke up after I got Elise to sleep. <sighs> yes, they're lovely. I'm so tired of them. It's just been really nonstop lately. What would you like to talk about? <laughs> just how tired and feeling in despair we are. Anybody else out there? Anyone? Anyone? Nobody's answering. We don't do the show live, babe. I read an article not too long ago about how, like, the pileup of emotional things is a legit thing. And so most Americans are, like, pent-up rageaholics and angsty and despairing and short fuses and just our capacity to handle things is very low right now. And I generally um, feel that in terms of like emotional overwhelmedness that other people who tend to be more empaths feel. I generally don't feel that as deeply as they do, but I'm for sure feeling it right now. Just really tired. Like Faith manhandles me every night. I can't put her to bed without either literally doing everything exactly how her two-year-old self wants to do it, or she screams and throws a fit. Like, no, I don't want this baby. I want a different baby. Nope, not that baby. Now, I'm going to put this baby in this corner of my crib, and you put this baby that I was just snuggling with on my chair in my room. She did that to me last night because she was crying forever and I was like so I finally went in and checked on her and she wanted a different baby yeah yeah this is what she does at nap time and bedtime I don't know that I don't know that so I don't know that Elise is really that much different because when I put Elise down or at least say goodnight to her she she there's always something you can tell she's just thinking of stuff to keep me in the room Mm -hmm. yeah the thing is Elise is more capable of comprehending well, maybe she doesn't do that to keep me in the room very much anymore because she knows I'm over it. Um, but she's more capable of comprehending the you get one more thing and that's it. I'm cutting you off. And Faith just, she's getting there because if I say, if you don't walk up the stairs right now, because that's the thing, she has to walk up the stairs. She has to climb up on the counter to brush her teeth by herself. If she, and if I, if she, she'll stop and fart around on the stairs, I'm like, I'm going to carry you if you don't walk. And so she walks. So she understands consequences. But, um, but she, anyway. Um, okay, let's quickly talk wow. about Benton Lundy's fundraiser. I will admit Andrea and Paul and Benton, I have not watched the whole video. This show is sponsored by Distant Family. <laughs> it's not sponsored. That his was gonna be parents my joke. are his mom is your second cousin, but in the weird world of Friesens, we probably know them better than we know all but one of my first cousins. And so now our kids and their kids are third cousins, and they're enough older than our kids that our kids probably wouldn't consider them friends. But mm-hmm. I do have a memory of them coming out to the Portland Beach House or the Lincoln Lincoln City. Is that where we made Elise? Anyway, where we made Elise? Lincoln City. We sat around beach. crafting her in the bedroom. Beach House. Yeah. 
Oh, you could hear the ocean on the cliffs the window from was the bedroom. Open, and it was a giant cliff off um, the bedroom, and things happened. But um, but they came out, and they played army army guys. Their boys played army boys. Army guys with so our, yeah. Titus. So for 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 Benton's sixteenth birthday, he's doing um, he's doing charity waters soaked sixteen. He wants to raise enough money to bring one hundred and sixty people access to clean water. You know, many of us have no idea what it's like to be thirsty. We have plenty of water to drink. Even the water in our toilets is clean, but we won't do that. Many people around the world don't have that luxury. So, he is raising money for his soaked 16. And he puts and together a video that starts with him as a mm-hmm. cute little dude. Which we will link in the show notes. And then he and his dad took a trip to Asia, where he got to experience this firsthand. And there's video that includes that trip. And um, so... Take a so look we'll at put, it. We'll put the link in the show notes and at least take a look at the video because it's really watch cool. The video. We'll have. put the video on Facebook. Follow okay. our Facebook, our book face, Facebook. Yes. Um. So I did actually have something I had in mind to talk about today uh, that was more than me just griping about my kids, but it was actually about the kids, and hopefully it will be more uplifting for the last <laughs> fifteen minutes. Somebody's, somebody's twenty-two five. I'm gonna go somewhere else. This show is just like whoa. You should put in the show notes like if you want to skip Molly griping, uh, skip to minute twenty-five. You're probably every you're, every woman listening is probably gonna resonate with you. They're yeah. Be like, oh, sister preach, sister. Preach. I feel like at some point. You feel any sister? Well, at least last night and tonight you did the dishes, so that helps with the. There's, there's really and like the night before. It was just no, so nice. Just aren't many Monday things. night, Monday night when we got everything cleaned up for your cana box mm-hmm. get together. It was so nice to have the kitchen counters clean. Yeah. And I was like, man, if I could just stay on top of that, we could have that every night, which has kind of worked out. So it's been kind of cool. Yeah, it it is. It's Having really nice to wake up in the morning counters. and not like be underwater. Clean water, metaphorically. I feel underwater until. I have my coffee. In well, the but when you wake up to a sink, to a counter full of dirty dishes, because there was more than fit in the dishwasher the night before, so you're already behind. Um, it's yeah, I've done particularly discouraging. We should take out some cabinets and, and put, put in, in another, another dishwasher. dishwasher. Every night this week, the dishwasher's been full, and we run it every night. Um, this was the second load I ran today. Oh. Um, See, we could just do two side by side dishwashers. It'd be cool. Um, so anyway, yeah, it's really, it's really deeply discouraging to be exhausted after a long day and then be cleaning up after your kids, even after you sort of tried to get them to clean up and they didn't. To be there, like really tired on your feet cleaning. So it's really nice to not have to do that. So thank you for that. Um, No, I was sitting in church a couple of weeks ago. Clearly not paying attention in church like I could have been. Was it the really bad sermon? It might have been. Okay, we won't say who it was. We don't have to talk about that because we're talking about positive, happy things right now. (laughs) We are... Leave that opening alone. (laughs) We are... No, I was thinking about what... I Every now and then I see these articles come across my newsfeed about what keeps... What seem to be commonalities in keeping kids in the faith when they grow up? And I was thinking about what we do or could do or should be doing to be setting our kids on a trajectory to not only own their faith, 
but to remain in their faith for their whole lives. I'm waiting for you to respond. You don't have a response. No, I don't think there's anything that we can do. We can, you know, it's it to me, it's kind of like being faithful to what God's put in front of you today. Like he asks us to raise our children in the faith, raise them with the fear of God, raise them to understand those things. Um, and scripture says they will not depart from it. Um, but I've known a lot of kids who've been raised in that environment and they've departed from it. Um, but scripture also says, train up your child in the way they should go, not the way they will go. So, yeah, I don't I mean, know. I don't know that there's, I don't think there's any magic. I actually don't believe there's any magical there formula. There isn't a magical formula. We have to just raise them well and but put what our does faith it mean? God. But what does it mean to raise them well? Heck, if I know. Don't abuse them. <laughs> Be, well, well, here's, I mean, okay, here's, here's an example where I'm going to push back on you somewhat. When you say raise them in the fear of the Lord, there are a lot of really bitter former homeschool superstars. Well, one former homeschool superstar I can think of right now who is wears his bitterness on every him. contemplative selfie he takes um, and posts on Instagram. But there, I think there are a lot of bitter former homeschoolers who were all aboard the... Oh, what's the dude with the umbrella of patriarchy? Do you know who I'm talking about? Yep. Oh, you we do. Were, Gothard. Who were all on, whose parents uh, were all on we board the, the Gothard, Gothard we world. The Gothard and crowd. the, you know, what was the other, what was the, the guy who, the film guy who had like, took a great fall? The guy who had the film festival that you went to. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Um, I don't remember his name. Anyway, either. so, you know, um, but like all these people, you know, What's the dating guy, the dating book? What was the, don't... I kiss dating goodbye. Yeah, you know, all these people who are raised up with, like, like, I'm being raised in the way I should go, and it'll all turn out for me, because I fear the Lord, and so there's this, for some of them, there was a fear-based um, obedience. I don't think it was... It was fe- I guess it wasn't fear of the Lord, it was fear of the world, and fear of fear of punishment, but then there was also the the legalistic... You know, I put a quarter in the machine and God spits out the good life that I expect for being the good, the good Christian that I think I'm being. But I mean, but but those parents were doing. So here's where I'm pushing back. Those parents were doing their best. And they have a lot of bitter ex-Christian kids. Um, I I feel like we. Then you have crap parents whose kids come into the faith. So yeah. It's true. No, uh, you know, it's... you are not a good conversation partner right now. I'm just teasing, sort of. You're so like fatal. See, you're fatalistic. And there's I don't know how to describe it, but there's a difference between trusting the sovereignty of God and fatalism. I'm not fatalistic. You're at, you're, you know, we'll, we'll do what we can. and No, we do. Yeah, we do. Our true. faith is either in ourselves or in somebody else. Yes. You've got to be responsible with what you're doing for the day. I Yes. So that's part of it. Part of where what I was thinking in the church service where I was not listening to the sermon very well um, is I like we don't when we're passing our faith down to our kids, it's a faith that consists of love and we can't commend to our kids what we ourselves don't love. Like we can't get our kids to love eating vegetables if we ourselves don't love eating vegetables. 
if we're not presenting to them in a beautiful, delicious, palatable, we love them and not like, mm, look at this delicious carrot I'm eating, gag. Like, kids can see through that. We, we, I mean, look at you and the leeks that I cooked the other day. I cooked leeks to go with our Egypt schedule and also because they, I grew them in our garden this year. Like, we were genuinely excited to be eating leeks braised in butter because they are delicious, right? To try to convince our kids because we're doing this for, for education. If I were to have gone to a store and bought some leeks and been like, well, kids, here's some leeks. It's a vegetable. It's probably good for you. They talk about it in the Bible. They ate it in ancient Egypt. They liked them. Eat them. Do you think any of our kids would have tried them and thought, this is pretty good? Of course not. For one thing, I wouldn't have been I wouldn't have known how to prepare them in a way that we like because we've never prepared them in a way we like before. I wouldn't we wouldn't have been genuinely commending them to our kids as something that they would love. I think the same is true of the do's and don'ts of our faith. We can present the do's and don'ts in a well. Here's your leeks. Eat them. They're good for you. I read about them in a book. You know, read about them in the Bible. <laughs> they must be good for you. Um, or, like, I have digested this for years, and it is so good. It's good for you, and it's delicious. And isn't that the best of both worlds? And what's amazing is this is how God created the world. That what's best for us is also good. That when we cultivate the right taste, those two things come together in a delightful way for us in our own hearts. And that's something that we then commend and pass down to our kids. So all the kids were raised poorly. All those other parents didn't do that, didn't do a good job. It's that formula, that thing that will make them work. (laughs) That's not the formula for that family, but that's, I think the best, uh, that's, that's something that I think is important for us to cultivate in our home is a true joy in the Lord and I'm not saying it's going to keep our kids from from having hard times or from straying, but I think that just like healthy eating habits, enjoying, which is enjoying the world the way God created it, healthy relationship habits with God are something that they catch from us and have a possibly better chance of of wanting to continue on in that strain. Or if they leave, you know, I mean, there's something very satisfying about eating a Big Mac, right? But there's also something... Right up to the point where you finish it and you're like, I feel terrible. Right. But there's something even more satisfying about eating a really good a hamburger that's been prepared that you know is healthy and has got amazing toppings on it. And there's... You know, you may be uncomfortably full, (laughs) but there's no guilt. Like I, that was terrible for me. Like I'm going to be thirsty the rest of the day because it was so loaded with sodium and I'm just going to, I'm going to be farty, although you think that's healthy. And, you know, know, I mean, whatever else goes with the feeling terrible at a perpetual diet based on McDonald's, you know, we we are trying to pass on to our kids the spiritual equivalent of not having a diet from McDonald's. But I also think, so maybe I shouldn't give you time to respond. Maybe I should turn this into a monologue. 
<laughs> You're just going to be like, well, that's our formula now. No, it's not a formula. It's a relationship. I Come haven't on. said anything. Evangelicalism 101. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. <laughs> I feel like you're arguing with somebody who's not here right now. I felt like you were going to like be like, wow, that's really profound. Yeah, I'm on board with that. Instead, you're like, so that's the formula that you're going to throw out and you think everybody should do. We're having a stare down. It's not going to end well. Continue. <laughs> no, you have my answers already, so I'm going to let you roll with your monologue. I just, I, so that, that's one thing. I mean, for me, another thing, because of the journey that I've been on the last few years about um, understanding particularly the way our bodies and sexuality work and how the guidelines, rules that God gives us in scripture for how we treat our bodies in particular sexuality actually aligns very closely with the science that I've been reading about how our bodies are designed to work best, how mental health seems to work, um, how children's mental health seems to, I mean, not just their mental health, their physical health. Children are physically healthier when they're raised in a stable emotional low stress, low conflict environment by their mom and their dad. Um, and so all that to say it, it has raised for me the importance of understanding, of embracing science as a way of trusting that, look, God created this world. I don't have to be afraid of, of facts because if, if my faith is true, then this world is going to work i.e. science, how God says it's going to work. And that means that the way that God tells me to treat my body and to act in the world is going to be the thing that best comports with the rest of the world. And so, for example, um, I think I've used this example before, but every car comes with an owner's manual. And it says, well, in the past it would say, what's the best type of gas to put in this engine? What, you know, how frequently are you supposed to check this and that? You know, if this isn't working, this is what you do to fix it. Um, and the Bible is more than this, obviously, but it also works like that in that we are the manufactured product, if you will, and God the manufacturer is saying, look, treat, treat your body that I made in a certain way and this is how it's going to work best. You know, don't put, I, this, I tell my kids, don't put applesauce in the engine of a car because even though it might seem fun and silly, it's not going to take you very far because that's not how it's designed to work. And so my goal with our children is to not make obedience and doing the right thing an arbitrary thing, but it's set in the framework of we do this because we have a God who loves us and we have a God who made us and we got, we have a God who knows all about everything about us. And if he tells us that something is best for us based on his love and his knowledge and his design, we joyfully embrace that because we trust that this is actually going to help us work the best like a car with gas in his gas tank instead of applesauce. And I feel like a lot of people 
in our generation grew up with, well, God said it, that seals it, just do it, right? That was that was even a bumper sticker in a t-shirt showed and sold in Christian bookstores, right? You know, and and yes, that's true to a certain extent, but the fact is that we can do a whole lot better than that, I think, as parents, because, yeah, God said it, but God also gave us the world to, to look around us and to understand, and there are... I'm reading Leviticus right now for my Bible reading. So there are always reasons that God gives for the commands that he gives us. They are baffling in Leviticus, and I don't understand them. God has his reasons, but I certainly don't get a lot of them. Um, Except that the whole Levitical sacrificial structure points to Christ to sum up all the things really, really simplistically. But, um, but the fact is we don't just have to say, you know, don't have sex until you're married. We can say, you know, if you decide to be sexually active as a teenager, there are all these consequences to your mind, to your body, to your future. Um, there are really good reasons to delay sexual activity until you're adult And then when you're an adult, there are really good reasons to delay sexual activity until you're married, just like God said that you should do. Instead of, do you see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, like purity culture of the 1990s that I was a part of was, starts at point A and goes to point Z and says, God said it, here's your ring on your finger to make the promise to God and to your future spouse that you're going to do what God said and zip, here you are at point Z committing to do what God said rather than it start at point A, God says it, and then point B is here's here's some science and here's some reason for this. And point C is like you can walk them down the entire path of really good reasons and build in them confidence and the ability to process and to say no and to defend their positions to other people. Um, and and it still gets them to point Z. And there are people who had no problem going from point A to point Z, but there are a lot more people who who stumbled going from point A to point Z because it seemed really arbitrary and it seemed really hard. Arbitrary things are always harder than things that you can understand and take ownership of. Maybe? Are they not? Yeah. No, I agree with you. I guess my my last thing, just in thinking about um, trying to lay a foundation for our kids of staying in the faith, is um, well, there's a couple things, but the biggest one is probably where I'm struggling the most right now is laying a foundation of a culture of joy where the best and the safest and the happiest place that they've ever experienced life is in the wells of a home. And for them, they inextricably know that the wells of this home belong to Christ and are founded on Christ. And so they can't, ideally, they can't help but identify um, joy and fun and safety and good memories with knowing that they belong to Christ. And so even if... Um, not if, but when 
life is really hard. You know, even, I mean, I mean, so you were You're creating that. You're creating that association. I don't know. Not lately. So, but, but for example, I was, this was really heavy on my heart last night. Lily has this bizarre, irrational fear of her teeth falling out. And she is now in the process of losing tooth number eight. And every single one of them has been some degree of trauma. But I feel like it's been long enough that this is like renewed trauma. I mean, to the point where you guys, she literally will have a tooth be so loose it's falling out in the morning and she will seal her lips over it and not eat or talk for hours in the day because she's just keep holding that tooth in because she doesn't want it to be out. She doesn't like the blood in her mouth. She doesn't like the weird feeling and she doesn't like the weirdness of having part of her head fall out. It just super weirds her out and um, she gets really emotional and worked up and so it's taken times of when she's actually calmer, deliberately asking, like, why is this so scary to you? Why are you so worked up about this? We watched a video the other day about our emotions, and it used the example of a fist, and you have your your upper store, your upstairs brain, which is like your fingers, um, when you're cl- they're closed into a fist, is your rational thinking brain, and your downstairs brain. Um, other authors will call it your reptile brain. It's your fight or flight and so Lily is all in fight or flight right now, and it's your your survival emotions, and you have to deliberately go upstairs um, when you're in your fight or flight. You have to deliberately go upstairs, or in, in the case of anger, um, they call it flipping your lid, <laughs> where, where all the fingers fly up, and you don't have your thinking brain putting a lid on, and you close your fingers again, putting a lid on the reacting survival, fight or flight, reptilian brain. Um, and so I was trying to encourage her to have her thinking brain, you know, like, you know that you have adult teeth, they're simply pushing the baby teeth out. So anyway, all that to say, she last night was tired, she brushed her teeth, she knocked this tooth way even looser, it still hasn't fallen out, but dear God, please let it fall out soon, because I'm not sure how many more days of this I can handle. She barely ate dinner because she was afraid of it knocking her tooth out. Um, It'll come out in the middle of the night. I know. And then she'll swallow or she'll inhale it and it'll be in her lungs and then she'll be traumatized for Don't real. Don't tell her that. Um, I'm not, but I have a legitimate fear of that because that happens when, anyway, she's, can't kill you. she hasn't, if you have a tooth in your lung, it's surgery. It can't kill you. Um, immediately. Um, okay. You're the, you're the, you're the, you're the, you're the, you're the medical <laughs> Your, your medical qualifications usurp mine, so I'll take your word for that. Um, but I last night, she was hysterical. She was genuinely hysterical by the time, because I had told her she could chill out in my bed, and I would mm-hmm. snuggle with her, and you were like, nope, uh-uh. You carried her downstairs screaming, and I just felt last night like it was really important for her to know that even if I don't understand her wild, out-of-control emotions, that I will love her and comfort her and try to help her feel safe through them. And so even though I really didn't want to snuggle with her for an hour, which is about how long it ended up taking because I had my arm around her and she had a death grip on my arm and she'd be like breathing heavily, regularly, eyes closed, like she was holding her blanket over her mouth like she does and then it would like drop away a little bit as I try to move my arm and she'd be like grabbing it, like, you know, sort of like... Like Halloween movie, like dead person mm-hmm. reaching out and grabbing your arm when you think they're dead. That was sort of over and over 
like probably happened five times where I think I could, I mean, I'd get my arm out from, from under her and wait for a second. And then I'd start rolling over and she'd reach out and grab me. (laughs) It's like, you are asleep. I swear you're asleep. But anyway, I do, I want to cultivate an environment for her and for all of our kids where sure, if you're just being a turd because you're too, and you decide that you want this baby and not that baby, I'm over it. But if you are just so overwhelmed with fear, I want you to know that um, that you are safe and loved, regardless of whether I can understand you or not. And I don't know. I just, you know, like you said, going back to what you said, we're all just doing the best we can and bumbling along. But um, those were the meanderings of my thoughts during a sermon that I wasn't paying attention to very much. But I mean, to be fair, it was a sermon on evangelism and the, the traditional reform position, which is part of why we have 400 kids, right? Is that the, the biggest evangelistic project you have is within your, your own home. So you are, yes, we're called to be a light to the world, but we're also called to raise up little lights in our own home. I haven't and, heard that. That's news to me. Um, yeah, that's a that's a pretty pretty well established, you know. Did, I didn't I didn't grow up in this world though. I didn't I didn't either. But um, <coughs> no, but you went to seminary. I do a lot more. World. I do a lot more reading and thinking and talking in this world. But but I mean, so it's it's kind of a gimme. I mean, it's a long term evangelistic project. But it's it's not having to go out. It's not going out and meeting new people. It's making new people, um, and discipling them to be good citizens and whatnot. But um, I had one more thing I thought I was thinking of saying, and I I lost it. Oh, Mother Teresa. I have this on our wall that joy is the net with which we catch souls, and I think that that's. I put it on our wall, I guess, because it resonated with me that, for me anyway, it's really important to try to cultivate as much as possible, giving myself grace for bad days or weeks or months during pandemics and election cycles. But even that, um, I've been trying to give myself breaks from the angst-inducing social media because it is, I believe, more important to be present with my kids and to be cultivating joy than to have this edgy angst because of all the things going on outside of my walls that I can't control. And so cultivating joy. Oh, and this is another one that when I was thinking about this earlier today, apparently Josh McDowell and his son, I can't remember his son's name, Anyway, they do marriage retreats and family camps now, and one of their big research points when they're doing a family camp is that kids tend to stay in the faith if they have an experience of real grace from their parents, not an experience, if they consistently experience real grace from their parents. So they screw up, and rather rather than having a parent predictably explode on them every time, they they experience grace and mercy in their weaknesses mm. um, because that to them that is a tangible experience of 
the more ethereal, intangible experience of God's grace that we start trying to describe to them later in life. So if you are farting around and you knock over a glass of milk on the counter and mom doesn't totally lose it and is like, well, let's just work on cleaning it up. And um, that actually, those little moments of mom showing grace are embedding in their hearts the very re- the reality that grace is real and that it is something that is available to them when they need it. That's all I got. That's a good statistic. Cool. Well, we're at 50 minutes. Look at that. And we didn't even Just talk about like farts or our turd-like children the entire time. More than half of it was trying to talk about Jesus. Or at least redemptive things. <laughs> it varies. Uh, we'll put the show, the links to Benton stuff in the show notes and a copy of the and a link to probably one of our Amazon referral links. I think we still have Amazon referrals. I don't know. I haven't looked to see if we got We're still getting emails, but... I'll add that to our Amazon referral list and you can go to our website add what? and purchase What Is Your Pool to Tell About Oh, you. right. What Is Your Pool? Add that to the show notes and you can buy that book for all of your friends and you can thank us for it. <laughs> that said, give us a shout out. Let us know if you want us to uh, talk about anything or whatever. And we will check it out. We'll... Talk to you guys later. Yeah. Have a good night or day.